Cleveland Ken Dwarfs, Nick. I'm going to call you uh, Ted Kwan. Oh, yeah. The Cleveland Guardians are going to be in the playoffs here soon. Mm-hmm. Episode 98. I got a couple people in mind for that that number. I got Who comes one. to mind when you think of 98? Go ahead. Big Dog. Big Dog. Good now, call. you want a guy that, that actually played? Either one. That's I'll go with I'll go with Anthony Pleasant. He's the most famous. Yep. Phil Taylor from Baylor was one. Oh. I remember him. Sheldon yeah. Richardson. But a guy that you and I watched play in college who mm. called some of his games, who probably in 2016 was a very famous football player, Jamie Meter. Taking in some Browns football, blocking an extra point for us to win against the Chargers. That was our only win that year. Oh, they only win in two years. So <laughs> Hats off to you, Jamie. Hope you're really doing well. I believe he's a police officer in the area. So nice. Doing well. Ted, I'm not going to lie. I'm struggling. A little sick. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I I got uh, sinus. I know you've been sick throughout. Your kids have been sick. My kids have been sick. So I guess it's my turn to get this. I've had it for over a week and uh, I'm here. I'm here battling. I want to let everyone know. I'm doing the best that I can. I probably sound like complete and total crap, but that's okay. We're still here. It's the uh, and physically. It's the welcome back to school. Everybody gets sick. Uh, deal that you go through every year. That's correct. It's ridiculous. Started with my son. He brought it over from high school. I mean, when you're around 2,200 kids, that's going to happen. And then <laughs> my daughter got it. You know, I got it. The only one that doesn't have it here is the dog. She seems oh, good. So okay. we'll, we'll plow through. All right. Well, how's well, life been with you the past couple of weeks? Once again, we're not going to talk about sports. That's for another show. But hats off to the Guardians. <coughs> hats off to the Cleveland Browns on a victory. And hats off to the uh, Cavaliers picking up a great player. But once again, we're not going to talk about those things because that's not our show. But no. I want to know what's going on in your life. What are the things that are concerning you right now, maybe based in the Cleveland area or something that maybe somebody else is dealing with. What do you I, have? Well, I got something I'm dealing with. Okay. So as uh, you know, uh, you know, we get mail delivered here at our uh, office. Yes. Usually not a problem. We have a doorbell. They ring the doorbell. We open the door. We get the mail. Last week, there was one day. I walked into the non-delivery door that is marked. You know, the delivery door is marked. The non-delivery door doesn't say, you know, no deliveries. They shoved the mail under that door. Oh. (laughs) Just shoved it. (laughs) Then, also last week, we found our mail one day on the windshield of a car parked near our door. (laughs) Then today, hold on. Let me get one of these here. You see this? I know this is not good for the people at home. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, it's soaked. Yeah. So the guy or woman, whoever, the postal carrier, goes to the door where we have the sticker that says, Ring this bell. It's pouring rain. Oh boy. Doesn't ring the bell. 
takes the mail, jams it in the door handle. Oh, it's boy. soaked. I bet it is. So I had to call the uh, fine folks at the United Postal Service, United States Postal Service, and uh, I have a complaint uh, lodged. Did you get postal? Uh, I did not get postal. I was quite polite, uh, as was the woman who took my call, but uh, I made it clear that I was uh, nonplussed about this latest turn of delivery. Well, I can speak to this because obviously I've been there before. Most times it seems as though everyone has understood that. I remember a couple of times when we were getting together, I would be nice enough when you're on a call to answer the door and yeah. the fine male person would give it to me and I'd say thank you and I'd hand it to you. Yeah. So obviously it sounds like you have maybe someone that's new. Maybe. Huh. But, you know, I mean, it's it's not rocket science. You know, there's a sign that says ring the doorbell. All you got to do is ring the doorbell. Well, maybe you have to get a box. Maybe uh, he needs a box. <sighs> no answer. Yeah. No I'm answer. Sure. I'm giving you the Phil Collins right here. Yep. But... I'm also going to let you know that uh, coming up on this week's show, we have a world record involving socks. Oh, boy. Yeah. We also have good news about an item a guy paid 75 bucks for at an estate sale. A, uh, a library has a new website address, but visitors got uh, redirected to a store completely unaffiliated with the library. Dusty Sloan is here to talk about a moment in Cleveland sports history. John Grabowski will educate us about the city of Cleveland. Jen Brazdovich has the October Cleveland calendar. And we're going to visit with a college student who has a, written a very unique book about betting on NFL games. He's got some pretty amazing stats to help you win some bets. Vincent Croyle will join us. That and more coming up. And now, a woman's perspective. What does a man consider a seven-course meal? A pizza and a six-pack. This has been A Woman's Perspective. Ted, it's our overachiever segment. And I think you're an overachiever, but you you didn't make this list. The University of Cal Irvine recently broke a world record. 1,415 students participated in a game of red light, green light. I know it's one of your favorite games. <laughs> I, I remember when we used to play that in college all the time. Yep. Yeah. I think that involves something else. Um, oh. The previous record was 1,203 participants set by... Willamette University in 2015. The new record for Cal Irvine was set as part of the school's welcome week tradition of attempting a Guinness World Record. The school's previous Guinness World Records included the largest game of balloon tag, the largest game of dodgeball, the largest water pistol fight, and the largest game of capture the flag in 2015. Well, this school's all about world records. That's yeah. what they want. They want some Guinness yeah. World Records. I wonder if they have any records of uh, GPA or anything like that. That would be extremely important. Well, maybe you have to have a good GPA in order to participate in these. Yeah, games. that could be. Well, that's not our only achiever this week, overachiever this week. Now, in Canada, 
A 14-year-old girl is now a world record holder. Carolina Cruz of Calgary put 22 seconds on one foot and 30 seconds to take the uh, right, record. Hold on. hold on. She got 22 socks on one foot? Yep. Oh, my. And because of that, we're talking about her. <laughs> she took the record for people under 16. So there's a, a juvenile and an adult category for this particular Oh, record. okay. Yeah. I don't know if it's the size of the foot or what. You know what they say about a guy with big feet? Small hands? Uh, big, big shoes. Oh, big shoes. She says she had some downtime at a swimming competition and tried putting some socks on. On that first attempt, she tied the previous world record of 19 socks. Wow. So that's where she got the idea. She says she might eventually go for the adult record. 28 socks on one foot, or she might try some swimming records. Once again, I, once again, my ability to listen is pretty poor, as you know. Um, yeah. I didn't hear at the beginning that it's 30 seconds. I was just like, well, I can yeah. do this. I mean, yeah. I could take all day and put these socks, but it's 30 seconds. That's pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah. I think so. George Michael sang a song about, I want your socks. Isn't, didn't he sing that? Uh, is that true? It's cl that's something that's like close. That. Okay. Yeah, that's close. Uh, uh, we'll it. check on that. Um, all right. Well, there you're overachievers. Blah, blah, blah. 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 Our guest today is a college student at the University of Kentucky. He's also an author. And he's an author of a book that uh, I know uh, some guys uh, are probably uh, wishing they had right about now. It's the book is called "The Cowboys Are 14 and 0 in Games When Dot 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 101 Wild Stats to Pick NFL Games in 2022." So uh, let's talk with uh, Vincent Croyle. Uh, Vincent, you uh, uh, are studying finance and economics, and meanwhile, you're you're trading stocks, playing fantasy football, and uh, uh, becoming a, a gambling fiend. Here is that uh, is that the summation of your current college experience? Yes, all very accurate. Uh, <laughs> in between my finance and economics classes, I'm just doing anything in sports I can, which has turned love fantasy football and. Uh -huh. Now into the gambling side. <laughs> okay. All right. Vincent, the timing of your book is impeccable. Obviously, everyone knows that in the state of Ohio, we can actually do legalized gambling starting January 1st. So I'm very interested to learn more about gambling. And it sounds like your book is the one that I need to pick up. How did you come up with this idea? Where did this concept come from of all these different events that happen and then betting on a team? How, how did you come up with that? So it first started um, from an Instagram account, a shout them out called uh, Offsides NFL, where throughout all of last season, they would um, come up with similar stats to this surrounded, surrounding uh, Ben Roethlisberger. So the one that I saw was Ben Roethlisberger is 6-0 and in his ho first home game after re the release of a live action uh, Spider-Man movie. <laughs> and I saw that. I thought this was just 
the best stat I've ever seen in my life. I told, um, I told my parents and I kind of wanted to do something similar. My dad's like, Hey, be a lot of work, but you can make a book about that. And so, um, like pretty much at the beginning of the new year, 2022, I kind of just started and I'm like, I think I can do this. So, so tell so this is gambling based on some, forgive me, absurd stats Mm -hmm. seem to hold true with football. Now uh, we're three weeks into the, uh, into the 2022 NFL season. And if I had your book and I wagered on uh, games that your book um, affects, because not every game has a, a stat with it, but of the games that you've uh, um, uh, been involved, your game, your book has uh, been involved with so far. What's your what's your record? So my record's eleven and six, which is sixty five percent. And if you were to put down, let's say, I mean, a standard hundred dollars on every single stat you'd be up around $115. Okay. Pretty good. Up units. Yeah. yeah. That's good. That's that's what it's all about. As I'm starting to learn the terminology and all that, basically most people, a unit is, you can basically look at it as $100. And it's based on your own bankroll, things like that. Ted, I'm starting to learn some of this. I, well, so, you know more than I do. Of course, being on our show, and I'm not sure if you've had a time to listen to it, we ask different questions. So the one question I'll have is what is the craziest stat that you've seen involved with your book of a team winning or losing or whatever? What's the, what's the craziest one? So the craziest one is probably my favorite and it's my favorite for a few different reasons. And funnily enough, it's actually this Thursday night footballs game, the Bengals and dolphins. So the Bengals are two and 20 against the spread in week four in the year that University of Kentucky's men basketball team never holds the AP uh, number one spot at all. <laughs> I love it because, one, I'm from the Cincinnati area, so everyone there is Bengals fans. So kind of like having a stat that goes against the Bengals. Two, you know, I go to the University of Kentucky, love basketball, has to do with them. And three, I mean, two and 20 against the spread. The spread's supposed to be like, roughly a 50 50 shot and then two yes. and 20 is i mean statistically like a there's a less than one percent chance that something like that happens and that's thursday night's game yes okay. we'll follow that we will yeah. follow that we've already we've already got so there's uh this is your we don't have a 900 line or you know you don't have to pay 50 cent 50 cents for the first minute or whatever it costs now but uh there's your tip for for the week. Um, now, um, are there, uh, some stats coming up later this season that involve maybe the Browns? Cause we're two middle-aged men in Cleveland that we should keep in mind. Yeah. So I have throughout the entire book, I have four stats that had to do with the Browns. Okay. The first one, um, was actually week one. And that was the first stat that lost was Cade York kicking that 50 something yard field goal to uh, win the game. <laughs> so that one was a, that one was a bit upsetting to be the first loss. So, uh, so let me just, let me just, let me just see if I understand this here. You're telling me that the Browns 
are the first team that has upset the apple cart. Go figure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, it makes sense. They've, they haven't won a week one game in something like 15 years and yeah. they have to do it when I start making well, stats. <laughs> yep. See, there you go. Uh, but in the future, um, since 1970, the Browns are 0 and 6 against the spread on December 4th. Now, I don't know, no Browns fans would probably just know this off their head, off the top of their head, but December 4th is Joe Thomas's birthday. Okay. Legendary left tackle, had more Pro Bowl selections than missed games. Um, so on his birthday, the Browns are 0 and 6 against the spread since 1970. <sighs> Write this down, Ted. <laughs> Write it down. Because I have a good okay. feeling that this is going to hit. I've I, wrote yeah. all this stuff down. I'm going to see if there's a way that I can place a bet somewhere. I like this. So, Vincent, the question I have, you've done this for football. I have, I have a couple other questions, but I'll ask you this question first. You've done this for football. Can you see this applying to other sports besides just football? I mean, I know it's much easier – I would say easier, but there's only 17 weeks of football for the NFL. All the other sports, I mean, it's weeks and months and all that kind of stuff. Have you seen this maybe for another sport or anything like that? Or is this strictly, you just think the data you come up with and in your book is strictly for football? I would, I would guess that it would just be for football. I mean, like you said, there's only 17 games, so it's not the 82 for basketball, 162 for MLB. That's a big factor. And um, another big thing is how easy is it to like actually find the data that I need? Um, and there's this uh, great uh, website um, called picksfootball.com. They have a library of every NFL game since like 1960 or something like that. So it's super easy to search up and, you know, it takes a lot of work to find what I need, but I don't think there's anything like that for the other sports that would make it feasible to write a book. Sure. No, that makes sense. So how long did this research take you and what do you, you know, like, how, how do you find this stuff? Um, so it took me from start to finish roughly seven months or so. Um, I started pretty much at the beginning of the new year, uh, on my winter break, um, beginning of January. And I was able to finally, uh, finish it mid August, uh, early to mid August. So about seven months and it's, I mean, it's a few different parts. The first is coming up with like the outside event. Um, that's just, you know, a lot of hours of brainstorming, bouncing ideas and drawing inspiration from wherever you can. Um, then picking a team to go along with it. So some of them uh, you need, or some of them it's nice to have a spe specific team like Joe Thomas's birthday. It would make sense to have a stat for the Browns, not any other team. Um, and then three is just look at the data and find trends pretty much um, and find good trends at that. Vincent, good for you. I have one last question. Mm -hmm. So you've put this book together right now. You're 11 and six at 65%. I mean, I follow all these different gambling websites. That's, that's a heck of a record. Mm -hmm. So what's your next step? 
I mean, are you going to try to, you know, obviously you're in school, you're trying to get your degree, but let's be honest. Doesn't everybody have a side gig? You found your very <laughs> lucrative side gig. Yeah. And uh, do you see yourself maybe doing this uh, on a more regular basis? I mean, uh, you could go out there and there's websites. I see these different people that come up with different apps. I'm just throwing out ideas. Yeah, I'm still playing with the idea of doing it again next year. And, you know, all of that goes into the response um, from the community, which so far I think it's been, you know, pretty incredible. Um, but seeing, can I get more of a nationwide response? Um, and I'm not, I haven't really thought too much about other avenues, like you said, creating apps or websites. Um, I'm not so sure that. I'd be able to do anything like that. I, I mean, obviously the stats in these books are not gambling advice. Sure. It's, you know, purely for fun. So I wouldn't ever do anything like um, selling like picks for games based off these stats. But um, I think it is a real possibility that I do something similar to this next year. Very cool. So it, uh, reading your bio, um, you uh, follow the stock market. Maybe you uh, do some things with the stock market. You better at uh, what are you better at the stock market or the uh, picking the football games? <laughs> well, it's easy to say picking football games when the stock market's down 20% since I've entered. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Not uh, fun. Fair enough. Right. Now I, I did think of one other question that uh, I think is kind of unique that I wanted to mention. So um, I went to college with, uh, Vincent's dad at Ashland university. Uh, Ken is obviously a fellow alum, but a couple of years after that, but, uh, seeing, uh, your dad's Facebook page, I've seen this video a few times where you and your brothers got called up on stage at a Bruce Springsteen concert by the boss and got to sing with him. So, Let's wrap it up by telling, tell, tell this story. This is unbelievable. Yeah. So the 10 year anniversary of that is actually coming up in November. Um, so I was nine years old. Um, my parents, big Bruce Springsteen fans for you know all of my life, plus a couple more decades. And so we got to go to a Bruce Springsteen concert in the pit really good uh, spots, like probably only five rows back from the gate. Um, and what we did, my two brothers and I, is we had white t-shirts that we spray painted uh, Glory Days Please on the on our three shirts, because that was our favorite song was Glory Days. Um, and so me being nine, I'm super small. I'm on my dad's shoulders when Bruce Springsteen looks down at me and he says, he sees my shirt that just says glory. He's like glory. And he realizes that the three of us say glory days, please. And being a cute nine-year-old, it kind of just happened where he pointed at me and is like, come on stage. And I'm like, okay. He pulls me up there. I give him a little side hug, but then in my mind, I'm like, I'm terrified because I do not know the song that's playing. I'm nine years old. I really didn't listen to Bruce Springsteen. I have no, like, if he asked me to sing, I'm not going to know what to do. Luckily, he pulls up my two other brothers with me because we're wearing similar shirts. We get an order that says, Glory Days, please. 
he hands us the microphone and luckily my brothers knew the words. So I'm kind of there just uh, pretending. <laughs> yeah. And then after a couple of um, refrains, we shout, uh, come on, East Street Band, and off we go. There you go. Wow. How about that, Ken? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we've ever talked to anybody that's actually been up on stage with Bruce Springsteen. I'm, I'm pretty impressed, in, in yeah. all honesty. That's a, that's a great story. Well, that's a timeless story right there. Yeah, that's one you can tell for forever. Yeah. Well, all right. So 11 and 6. Uh, uh, one more time, name of the book and where folks can get it. Name of the book. The Cowboys are 14 and 0 in games when you can find it on Amazon and it's gotten enough traction that you can just start typing in the Cowboys are 14 and 0 in games when and it'll pop up there. Ebook, paperback, both great options. Um, yeah. Probably find a copy in your local casino pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, I need yeah. to start reaching out to them. Okay. All right. Well, uh, best of luck with uh, with school, with the stock market, and with uh, the uh, the uh, NFL uh, picking of the games. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, Vincent. Thank you so much for having me on. Ted, we're out and about the Northeast Ohio area, and in this time, I was out and about on location. I think I Actually, saw some of this uh, on Facebook. Yes, we uh, we opted to go to a Penn State football game at State College, mm. which was fun. It's okay. the second largest college football stadium behind. Do you know this? Who's got the number one? Who's got the largest football stadium in the United States? Um, Meaning American football, college football. Michigan. God, you could. You really are. So Penn State's number two. They're right behind him, 106. Michigan's got 109. They just keep packing them in. Yeah. Fun atmosphere. I mean, as many people have gone to college football games, it was just cool. The pop and circumstance, a little bit of a local flavor. So Drew Aller, who went to Medina, is considered the number one quarterback in high school. He plays for Penn State. Got to see him play a couple games. And then anyone actually grew up in that area. So we had the opportunity to kind of see where she grew up. A lot of the places she worked. Um, she spent a lot of time at the university as well. So great weekend. Beautiful weather. It was supposed to be 60. Huh. And then uh, you obviously the people at home can't see. My face is about as red as the shirt you're wearing right now that says <laughs> Cleveland Indian Spring Training because we thought it was going to be overcast. So not only was it a fun time, I actually lost some weight. I think I lost about 10 pounds. So oh. sweating. So. So plenty of time for eating and drinking. I didn't feel bad because I already sweat out a lot, but it was fun. It was it was very cool. Other than that, just a couple of local places that you guys have heard before. Buckeye Beer Engine, uh, Sibling Revelry and a couple other uh, nice places. But once again, the highlight was going to State College. If you haven't been there, the university itself is beautiful. And that's my out and about. I, I take the baton and hand it to you. Did you out and about in Shaker Heights or Akron? Well, I got to tell you, Cleveland Heights, the um, the uh, what do you call the, the place where you order food? What am I trying to say? The, con not the, 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 no, the con uh, concession concession. Yeah, okay. I got to tell you, the uh, the concession stand at uh, the uh, Parma ice rink 
that makes a mean bag of popcorn. Yes, they do. Yeah. We've done it for a long time. I've <coughs> taken in a lot of uh, hockey there for years. Yeah. My cousins and stuff. Yeah. It's Reese. Isn't that Reese Ice Rink? Isn't that what it's called? Reese? The Michael A. Reese Ice Arena. Yeah, he passed away way too early. They named the ice arena after him. Yeah. He was a wonderful man. So, how's we, hockey going? I mean, we've, wh- where are we at? We have some preseason games. We were two and one uh, nice. by various kids uh, over the weekend. I love it. In the games that they were involved in. I love it. So, yeah, yeah, things are going well. And uh, uh, if you're looking for me, check the ice rink. Cleveland! This is for you! Time for another Cleveland sports history segment. That means one thing. We will bring in the sports professor, Dusty Sloan. Dusty, a different one for you to talk about today. We're going to go back to 1950, where the New York Giants, I'll tell you, this was a scoring fest. They beat the Cleveland Browns 6 to nothing at Cleveland Stadium. The Browns set a club record for the fewest points scored by both teams. And the Browns go on to win the NFL championship that year. Dusty, talk about that game and, and certainly some of the people that were involved. And how did they go on from losing six to nothing and then winning the NFL championship there? Talk about that. It's a fascinating set of events because that game was game three of the 1950 season. It was the Browns' first season in the NFL after playing those four years in the AAFC. And a lot of people in the NFL just didn't think that the Browns would be able to do what they did in the AAFC and the NFL, where they ended up being wrong, at least for the first several seasons they were in the league. But, yeah, it was a 6 nothing loss at home to the Giants. It was the home opener that year in 1950. But you think about all the great names that were playing in that game. Otto Graham, unfortunately, threw three picks in that game and still had Marion Motley and still had Dub Jones and still had Dante Lavelli and Max Speedy. But they were good in their own right. The Giants back in the 50s were extremely good, and they had Charlie Connerly at quarterback. Mm. And they also had Emlyn Tennell, who's a Hall of Famer, as a defensive back, and he picked off a pass that day. So th- there, there was a Hall of Famers all over that field. And the interesting thing about that, what would start that, that rivalry in 1950 is the Giants dealt the Browns their only two losses that season. Six nothing that day, and then a few <laughs> weeks later in uh, New York, 17-13. But then when it counted, the Browns beat the Giants in the first round of the playoffs, 8-3. to so, well, we all know the old saying about it's hard to beat a team three times in a season. Well, the Giants couldn't do it. Wow. Well, you know, the, uh, the Browns uh, back in that era, uh, they, they dominated this particular situation. You know, they, I guess you, you're not going to win them all. Uh, is that, Pretty much it, uh, Dusty, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean that, that, that year they had a bad matchup with the Giants for whatever reason. The very first game they played in the NFL, the commissioner of the NFL specifically made the Browns start at Philadelphia to try to, quote, unquote, teach them a lesson, and the Browns beat the Eagles 35-10. to 10, And they beat every <laughs> other team they played that year except for the Newark Giants. And we've seen this in all kinds of sports. You guys know this. Yeah. For whatever reason, certain teams don't match up well with certain teams in certain years. And for the Browns, at least in the, those two regular season matchups, it was the Giants. Yeah. And what if people don't realize, Dusty, obviously with the Browns playing in that AAFC, I, I would almost say that that would be comparable at the time. And it's so much different now of, you know, an XFL team or, you know, USFL team coming out of that league and joining, you know, certainly the quote unquote 
good teams in the NFL and, and coming out and winning the championship. Wouldn't you say that's very comparable to that? Of yeah, what the Browns did at that time? like when you had the AFL in the 60s and they merged and you had the good Raiders teams and the Chiefs teams and things like that. Pretty comparable to that. And But you're right. There was always in that USFL, the first round in the 80s, people always wondered if those Philadelphia slash Baltimore Stars teams that won all those championships could play in the NFL. We'll never know that. But yeah, it's there's a comparison there. Well, Dusty, thank you for the time. Nice to go back and take a look at the 1950 football season, which obviously was a championship year as the uh, Browns lost their first game in a real battle of offenses of six to nothing at Cleveland Stadium. Dusty, thank you again. Thanks, guys. Cleveland! This is for you! The most trusted name in journalism, Klopp's Clips. All right, Ken, here we go. Probably didn't hear about these news stories, but uh, I'm going to tell you about them now. Doctors in Ireland, they may have set a record. They could be overachievers. I'm not sure. Uh, this one's not necessarily a good one to go for, though. A 66-year-old woman went to the hospital. Doctors x-rayed her abdomen and found dozens of AA batteries in her body. <laughs> <clears throat> she passed five of them in one week on her own and then she started having abdominal pain the doctors then used surgery and other methods which i won't detail here you can probably figure out what those might be Uh, other methods to remove the rest of the double a and triple a batteries a total of 55 batteries this woman had in her no word on why or how she swallowed them, ingested them, how they made it into her abdomen. No, no word on that. I wonder, since she had a combination of both, I mean, I don't think no. she'd ever come on our show, but I guess it's worth asking. Are the double A's better than the triple A's or what, what's, <laughs> what's that better taste and flavor? Oh, wow. Okay. We'll never know. Mark that one down. Wow. Well, Houston police are investigating an armed robbery. A guy walked into a fast food restaurant, demanded a hundred bucks for an employee behind the counter. Now, as the employee turned to ask to talk to the manager, the uh, suspect showed a gun and then told the employees it was his first robbery. <laughs> The manager then refused to open the restaurant, a register. The suspect tried to negotiate with the manager, and he eventually got frustrated and just left. Oh, boy. This goes back to a football adage, I guess you could say. Adage. What do they say when you score a touchdown? Act like you've been there before. Act like you've, you've been, been do there a before. Robbery, That's right. Don't tell anybody that you've done it. No. Act like you know what you're doing. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, a brothel in Australia recently ran a unique and rather direct ad. Harlots posted an ad on their Facebook page offering a lunchtime meal deal. The ad read, buy and coke deal. 
Enjoy a feed and a 15-minute quickie, all for 150 bucks. Oh, boy. Apparently, this is right. their idea of uh, a pie, a Coke, and a poke. I, okay. well, I guess you don't forget that ad. No. No. <sighs> oh, boy. Figured I'd pass that one along. That's uh, some interesting internet marketing. wonder what the uh, SEO setup was on that. <laughs> a library in Hampton, Virginia, recently updated its website and web address. Typically, when this is done, a redirect is set up from the old URL to the new one. In this case, the redirect sent visitors to the Hampton Adult Toy Store. <laughs> Which, uh, 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 this uh, store bills itself as, quote, the premier destination for your adult toy needs. <laughs> In addition to products, the site offers articles on how adults, adult toys can help marriages, and how to uh, play with the adult toys. Oh, oh, my. Yeah. A post on the city's Facebook page says, their investigation suggests somebody <laughs> somebody impersonated a city employee, <laughs> contacted their domain registration company, and transferred the old URL. <laughs> wow. Can you imagine that, firing that up? Like, just say that's just... The city oh. of uh, city of Cleveland. You, you you want to go to the uh, the mayoral office? Yeah, that's what comes up. That yeah. is, you won't forget that. That's no. for sure. Hey Johnny, go look up uh, Beverly Cleary's book on uh, on the library page. See if it's in. Wow, um, uh, Daddy, um, what, <laughs> what, what 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 is this? It's like oh, looking look up Dick's.com. You're not going to see what you think you're going to see. Nope. That's, that's how All right. Well, in sports. Here are some scores, 28-14, to 35-21, 20-10, and a close game, 28-27. to 27. There you go. I'm Ted Klopp. That's news to me. Time for our Cleveland calendar. That means we are joined by only one person. And I mean one person. Jen Brazdovich from Destination Cleveland. Jen, we're just flying by on the calendar. We flew through June. July's gone. August is gone. And now we're basically turning the page on September. But yeah. I know you're going to bring us positive news because you're going to tell, tell us about all the wonderful things that are going on in October that we can do in Cleveland. Yeah. October is my favorite month. I think um, fall in Cleveland, you know, a lot of people like summer, but fall in Cleveland is my sweet spot, if you ask me. Um, and we are approaching a pretty magical time here in Cleveland. We, you know, we could have all three teams playing at the same time. Guardians heading for the postseason. Hopefully they make it past that wild card round. Of course, the Browns are in the middle of their season. And then the Cavs will be back in the city starting October 23rd um, for their season at home opener. So, Things are about to get pretty exciting in downtown Cleveland for sports fans. If you are not a sports fan, fear not. You will be surrounded by them, but I have plenty of ideas of things that you can do that do not involve sports this fall. 
Um, so let's start with the arts. Playhouse Square is kicking off its new season of the Key Bank Broadway series in October. Les Mis will kick off that season. That opens on October 7th and it runs through October 30th. And then for those who like getting an early start on spooky season, Great Lakes Theater is currently presenting Little Shop of Horrors over at the Hannah Theater. That'll be there through October 9th. So some cool arts opportunities for you there. All right, fellas, here's a pop quiz for you. I know how passionate you both are about Dingus Day. Let's talk yes. about another Midwest holiday. Do you know what October 15th is? Sweetest day. Sweetest day. Oh, Ken gets good. He gets good yeah. karma points there. So Sweetest Day is celebrated on the third Saturday of October every year. This is a holiday with Cleveland roots. So it started in 1921, over 100 years ago. Uh, started by a group of Cleveland candy makers who used the day to bring happiness to the city's less fortunate. So they distributed candy and chocolate and all sorts of goodies to the sick, the elderly, and orphan children. Um, so it's similar to Valentine's Day, but it is not limited to romantic relationships. You can celebrate your friends, your family, anyone special in your life. Of course, there are no shortage of sweet ways to celebrate here in Cleveland. You could head out to Mitchell's in Ohio City, grab a specialty ice cream sandwich at Kathy's Gourmet Ice Cream Sandwiches in downtown, get some treats for your sweetest at Malley's or Campbell's, or even get your sweetie and artisan donut at Brunot's or Vegan Donut Company. A Nautica Queen will actually be offering a Sweetest Day cruise. So if you're looking oh. for a little date night outing on Sweetest Day, Saturday, October 15th, it's a perfect outing. Food, entertainment, incredible views of the city. Um, of course, you can't beat the Nautica Queen if you're looking for a good view of downtown Cleveland. That is a can't beat experience for you there. So got Sweetest Day covered for you guys. Um, we are in October, but uh, pretty soon we'll be hearing the sweet sounds of Christmas carols. And that will begin on October 20th. Great Lakes Brewing Company Lord. doing their first pour of Christmas ale oh, on October awesome. 20th. Ah, it is like the unofficial kickoff to the holiday season here in Cleveland. I feel like once once that Christmas ale is tapped, that's how you know like the Christmas yeah. trees are coming out. Santa's coming around the corner pretty soon. Um, so that's happening on October twentieth, and they're actually celebrating thirty years of Christmas ale this year. So it's going to be a wow. huge celebration. Um, Brew Pub opens at eleven. They'll do the whole like parade of arrival for the keg of Christmas ale, and then they will tap that baby at eleven thirty. And you can get your first Christmas ale of the season at 1130 on October 20th. Oh, that's uh, awesome. So they will have all sorts of Christmas themed stuff happening there. Carolers, Christmas ale themed food specials, photo ops, Christmas karaoke. Um, you can get your first cans, bottles, and kegs of Christmas ale exclusively at the Great Lakes gift shop on the 21st. They'll hit store shelves on the 24th. And Destination Cleveland will actually also be there that day. We'll be on hand with what we're calling our Land Love Seat. So this is part of a new storytelling project that we're doing to shine a light on Cleveland's greatest asset, which is its people. So if you are planning to head to First Pour, or even if you're not and you're looking for something to do that day, come on down, take a seat on our Love Seat and share your story of why you love Cleveland, why you love Christmas Ale, why you love Great Lakes, why you love anything in Northeast Ohio. We want to hear from you. Um, and you can learn more about that at thisiscleveland.com slash storytelling project. So that is the early start to the Christmas season. Wow. Of course, we'll get through Halloween before. We've got some cool Halloween happenings. 
Tours of Cleveland will host their Tales of Terror walking tours, not for children. I will warn you, not for the faint of heart, not for children. It is alert, alert. Yes. (laughs) Something that is for the kids, Trick or Treat Fest returning to the Cleveland Metro Park Zoo Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays in October. Um, It is a special ticket, so you do have to purchase a separate ticket for the kids to go through Trick or Treat Way, meet with the characters, but they get unlimited rides on the carousel, unlimited rides on the Pumpkin Express, so they can get all sorts of candy and then just run around in circles. And after that, I take no responsibility for what Wait a minute. Hold on a second. Jen, how many kids do you have? Zero. Uh, how did I know that? <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Well, good. Continue. Get them sugared and out. Uh-huh. They're not yours. Yes, yes. that's the oh, way yep. to do it. There you yes. go. So, yes. so plenty of stuff to do this October. Of course, our incredible outdoors here in Cleveland, uh, the Metro Parks, Cuyahoga Valley National Park. Uh, before the lake freezes over, it's a good chance to get out, get those last kayaking trips in. If you get a really nice sunny day, it's still a good chance to go to Edgewater and check out the beach there. You'll probably be uh, in pretty quiet day there, so that would be nice. Um, but plenty of stuff to do here in Cleveland as we turn the calendar to October. <sighs> well, uh, I do have one other question for you, Jen. Uh, as we know, the end of the month is Halloween. What will you be dressing up as this year? Um, I haven't decided. I'm waiting to see uh, if we're doing a Christmas party at work. Um, I have I have an idea to dress up as one of my coworkers if we do a, a Christmas party. I a love Christmas that. party, a Halloween <laughs> party at work. I have an idea to dress up as one of my coworkers if we do a Halloween party. Um, but usually I kind of take the easy way out. I have like a jack-o'-lantern sweatshirt and like a green hat, and I call myself a jack-o'-lantern. So. Okay. Well, quick and easy. That's uh, I don't blame you on that. What are some <laughs> of the other previous costumes you've had in the years? Oh, obviously. I have been when I was younger, I was a, a Halloween champion. My best friend and I dressed up as Smurfs one year. Oh, we dressed nice. up as Laverne and Shirley. Um, I made my husband do a couple's costume with me one year where I dressed up as Babe the Blue Ox and he was Paul Bunyan. I am all about Halloween, guys. That's um, awesome. and, and I absolutely love just sitting out and seeing what kids come up with. I, it makes me realize how old and out of touch I am to see kids. <laughs> these days. But it's still fun. How, it's still fun. Uh, how, what did your husband think of uh, dressing up as uh, uh, in, a, in the tandem costume with you? Oh, he just smiled and goes along with okay. it. You know? okay. Give okay. him a drink. He'd be fine. Yeah. That's where I'd yeah. be. So just, well, just have a drink. It'll be Where's good. the beer is the yes, correct answer. Pretty much. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Jen, thanks again for the calendar update. If people want to find out about this information or other things that are going on with Cleveland, where can they find out more information about the Cleveland area? Head to thisiscleveland.com. You will find all sorts of fall activities, all sorts of holiday activities as we head into that season. Um, lots of good stuff to be to be doing out and about over the next few months as we head towards the end of the year. So no shortage of ideas there at thisiscleveland.com. Awesome. All right, Jen. Well, thank you. Thanks, guys. Ted, we have some good news. A man at an estate sale in Maine was looking for a KitchenAid mixer when he spotted a framed document. Hmm. It was a handwritten. It was handwritten in elaborate script from. Let's try that again. It was handwritten in elaborate script of Latin. Yeah. And musical notes and a sticker that said. 1285 A.D. Will Sideri. He looked it up. It looked to be medieval. He bought it for 75 bucks. 
Oh, now, he had some researchers take a look at it and they confirmed that the parchment was from the Beavis missile and dated the late 13th century. Hmm. Experts say, oh, my, it was once owned by William Randolph Hearst. It could be worth 10 grand. Oh, seventy five dollars, seventy five bucks turned into 10 grand. Now, this is just a tip for any of you who might be listening and getting ready, ready for a, an estate sale. Not that there are any of you out there, but if there are, just listen close here. If you have a framed item with a sticker that says 1285 AD, mm-hmm. I want to get a check before you put it in the sale. I'm no, just 75 just bucks. Looks like it's about 75 on that. Okay. That's good. All right. That's wow. Interesting. Uh, yeah. That's crazy. crazy. That's good news for him. Time for more Cleveland history, and we are joined by our Cleveland historian, John Grabowski. And, John, today we're going to talk about a a restaurant that mm-hmm. at least I was very uh, familiar with it. I think it was pretty well known. It was called The Theatrical in downtown Cleveland, and I believe it was on what's known as Short Vincent. Am I right on that? That's right, Short Vincent. Yeah. Yeah. And and part of the reason why I picked this, and I'm curious about it, is because, well, uh, full disclosure, my parents used to go there and uh, have dinner. And so I'm just kind of curious about, you know, it's got this interesting name. So <laughs> it's is it it's near the theater district? Well, yeah, it's 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 relatively close to to what is now Playhouse Square. Right. I mean, it's a walk, but the the reason Short Vincent developed into a restaurant area and then and then kind of a place where you could get anything you wanted to was that it was the back door of the Holiday Hotel exited on Short Vincent. And so okay. you know, there's the, the theatrical, the tasty barbecue. The grog shop, Frank Turquia's barber shop was there. Uh, theatricals actually started by a man named Mushy Wexler, <laughs> and I uh, bought it in '38. Um, it uh, became the place to go. Short Vincent was the place where everybody wanted to go in the '40s and '50s. Would, okay. would sort of pass away. But you have to remember that this is on the north side of Short Vincent. It was the best restaurant on that street. Uh, on the south side of Short Vincent, there. There were places where you could get shoe shines, and a little further south, you could go to Gene's Fun House, where you could buy rude picture cards, <laughs> or or you could go to the Roxy Burlesque on Ninth Street. <laughs> uh, so this this was a site for mobsters, for major figures, Frank Sinatra, wow. like that. Where there, uh, it, it was it was the place in Cleveland. Windsor French, the great columnist, used to hang out there. Um, you know, Ninth Street has has really changed up. The, the interesting thing is that one of the silent partners in the ownership of the theatrical was a man named Shonder Burns, mm. who uh, essentially got blown away for his mob yeah. actions in Cleveland. Uh, <laughs> and, and so, so <laughs> there was there was a uh, telegraph shop there, that, forget what it was called, the Empire News Service, where they basically posted the odds on racing. And uh, the Kefauver Commission in the 50s got a lot of people testifying who had their hangouts in uh, in short vincent why um, yeah the restaurant burned in 1960 and then uh, wexler had it rebuilt and it finally would close under the ownership of jim swingos in 1999 and by that time it had become a strip joint with pole dancers and whatever else 
But well, this, I had no idea that my parents were going to this crazy place here. Good gracious. Yeah, well, that, that's a little later, I think, than your parents were going. I, probably, I hope so. I hope so. Now, why the name, the theatrical, where did, what is that, the theme of the restaurant? Where did that name come from? Do you have I, any I, knowledge on that? I really don't know. Other, other than, you know, you had a burlesque show there. And Ninth Street is not what it used to be. Ninth Street was, until Eerieview came through, it was a place with older hangouts and whatever else. Uh, the Holland and House Hotel, you know, had a great bar and a, sort of a, a player, a, sort of a, a theatrical area there. So it, and people lived downtown in the 40s and 50s. They, they uh -huh. lived in some of those hotels. So, you know, downtown life is not new. And now it's the uh it's it's a parking lot right and it's uh the other uh, the it's behind uh what is now the marble room am i am i correct right, yeah there's a parking garage there and you know the the bank is on the corner the roxy is gone every almost everything that that really epitomized that area is is, is gone it's it's been it's been sort of clean swept if you will yeah sure but you know it's theatrical in those restaurants that's where the performers at the burlesque house would turn up as well <laughs> Boy, I uh, I wish my parents were still around to uh, now that I have this information to uh, to uh, ask them what what they what they were doing down there. Yeah, well, you know, depending when they were there, they could have bumped into Bill Vick when he owned the. Oh, ah, okay. It's where a lot of the football players, a lot of the uh, baseball players, would hang out. Okay. Yeah. So Interesting. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, uh, one of the uh, very uh, well-known uh, restaurants from uh, Cleveland's past that uh, I guess had uh, numerous different uh, changes as uh, history went on and uh, now it's a parking lot. <laughs> All right, John. Made it a parking lot. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I guess... Uh, Apparently that's progress at times, but uh, who knows? Uh, all right, John. Well, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, Ted. Oh, no, not a dad joke. What do you call a pony with a sore throat? What? A little horse. That joke was horrible. Almost finished with episode 98 of Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland. And Ken, I, I do want to mention you made an episode, an appearance on another uh, podcast here in the last uh, couple of days. You want to tell everybody about that? I did. So uh, Phil Yale, who was on our show, who's got a podcast called Phil's Tracks, mm -hmm. which is basically geared toward baby, baby boomer music. Um, Phil and I have gained a friendship. Ted, you have as well. Sure. Just through doing our podcast, we spent some time with him. And he asked me if I wanted to be on and talk about an album. And so I talked about uh, Electric Light Orchestra. You have to listen to it. It's uh, Phil's Tracks, number 41. Mm -hmm. Just came out. It was a blast. Uh, Phil's yeah. very good at what he does, knows music very well, makes a lot of connections to Cleveland. And it's a blast. And if I'm not mistaken, sir, you also will be joining this podcast I very soon to talk, yes. I believe, about one of your favorite artists. Yes, I will uh, be discussing Billy Joel uh, soon. On, it's a shame uh, you've never seen him in concert. Yeah, I That's know. A shame. <laughs> I have to correct that at some point. Yeah. I have to pretend. 
Um, by the way, do we know is uh, is Jack Shea going to be on that podcast at any point? <laughs> just curious. Yeah, well, I don't think a little, so. That's a little humor just for the two yes. of us, I suppose. Such a good man. All right. Well, uh, we've got uh, another show in a couple of weeks. We're going to be uh, uh, all the way uh, ready for Halloween or darn close to it. What are you dressing up as this year? You you know yet, or are we going to find out in a couple of weeks? Uh, Polish American, just oh, like I am now. Polish American, okay. All right. I, I think. How about I'm, you? A hockey dad. Oh God! Will you wear your yeah. shaker height? You're gonna wear I your might. shaker yeah. jacket. Yeah. I think I will. That would be great. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, Ted, as always, this has been a blast. Hats off to Dusty Sloan, John Grabowski, another Cleveland calendar, which was great. To our guest Vincent Crowley, who eventually will be a millionaire because of this idea he came up with. And very quickly, obviously, we don't want to always talk about things that are a little bit negative, but I wanted to kind of give a shout out to uh, the Tullis family. Oh, uh, yeah. Matt Tullis, we went to school with at Ash University. Yeah. Yes. Very, very gifted writer, very good professor. Um, unfortunately, passed away after uh, having surgery to uh, <sighs> kind of better his life. And unfortunately, th things didn't go well. And he, passed away i wanted to give hats off to his family his, his yes. son and his daughter uh certainly thoughts and prayers to them in a very tough and difficult time um can't really say enough about matt we both mm -hmm. worked with him i actually called some ash university basketball games with him was on yep. a crazy road trip with him to the up and just a very nice man and uh, loved his kids loved his family loved his work he's very talented and and he will certainly be missed absolutely absolutely i had the opportunity to work with him he did a football game with me at one point and uh, obviously was uh, very influential in the, uh, uh, was it the journalism department? I think they yep. call it now at Ashland university. So yep. yeah, very uh, sad uh, uh, thoughts and prayers to his family. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's unfortunate. Ted, thanks for the time. We look forward to doing this again and don't forget we're just two middle-aged men in Cleveland. Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland is sponsored by Westminster AV, custom audio-visual packages for all occasions. <laughs>